But today, I'm going to jump back into this new series we started last week, The Generosity of God. And it's pointed, I'll be honest with you, it's pointed a little bit at our building campaign. But boy, the more I've studied and dug realization that that generosity, the idea of generosity impacts every area of our life. It impacts the way we relate to each other as a church. It relates, it connects deeply with when you go to work tomorrow and, and you go generosity, the opportunity for generosity. I think even in terms of husbands and wives and how much it impacts in, in that area as well. So it's such a profound topic. It's wide. I think it's deep. And last week we said this, generosity starts with God. Last Sunday, if you weren't here, we looked at the prodigal son. And this idea that there was a father there who was profoundly generous. And if you don't know the story, a son comes to dad and he goes, Dad, I want my inheritance. And the dad gives him, splits it up, his estate by a third, sells it, gives him the money. And the son goes away and he squanders all the money. And all of a sudden he feels bad. He doesn't have anything to eat. And he comes back home. And here was a generous father waiting, actually running to him. And a father that goes... Well, put it this way, when the son came back, he didn't start, the father didn't start with a lesson, or I told you so, or you should have. He accepts him into the family. He throws him a party. Did you catch the generosity of that that father as well? A profoundly generous father. But the father was also generous to the older brother, and you maybe know the story as well. The older brother looked at what dad throwing, wasting money in his eyes toward that younger son who had come back. And the older brother says, it's not fair. You didn't do that for me. And look what dad, how he responds. Look at, I'm going to put it on the screen here from last week. Luke 15, 31. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And look at this incredible phrase. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and he is alive. He was lost and is found. All that is mine is yours. Even as he objects to putting out money for a party and he was the victim and life wasn't fair. And the recognition that the father still looks at that older son and says, all that I have is yours. We have a heavenly father who knows what we need. And we have so much that we don't even realize how generous he's been to us. And I believe this, that he's whispering to us over and over, come to me, celebrate with me, trust me in my goodness. I'm good. I'm a good father. But I think this is fair as well. When, when Jesus is telling his disciples this story, he wants them to understand that, first, the Father's generosity. But second, I, I think he's pulling their hearts to a place where he wants them to be generous as well. He wants something new within those disciples and those followers of Jesus. So I think that's where this is written for us as well. He's revealing himself to us. He's inviting us to be have hearts of generosity. But here's where we got to dig today. What is a biblical understanding of generosity? 
Now, let me put the first point. We have a bulletin outline there. If you're new here, you can follow along. But number one, let me just fill in that blank and then talk about that a bit. Generosity or being generous, okay? When it's an adjective, it's comparative in nature. When he says somebody is generous, it's comparing to something. Now, if we say a person is a good person, we use that, that word good. It describes in a way where you go, it's not a, he's not an average person or she is not an average person or a bad. See, there's a description. It's a comparison. See, words describe something of who we are, the virtues of who we are even. For example, anybody play hockey in here? A number of you play, played hockey. If I came along and said this, he or she was a dominant hockey player, that word dominant, what would it feel like if somebody said that of you? Dave's a dominant guitar player. <laughs> Is that okay, Dave, if I say that? <laughs> sure. See, we hear that, and it's a word that describes us, and when those words are positive, we feel good about ourselves, don't we? But if someone comes along and says this, there's a stingy person, that's not so flattering, is it? Now, I know of people that kind of take pride in being stingy, and I would go, I'm not so sure that that's a positive virtue that you really want to take pride in. But somebody says something negative about us like that. You're a stingy person. Do we realize what the normal response is? That there's the mind and the heart, combination, the flesh. Something goes on. There's a response that wells up within us. And there's, and we, if we think that they really are saying, ah, you're a stingy person, do you realize in about a half a second that you begin to go through a catalog of your life. Now, if you're younger, you probably don't know what a catalog is. You, got, you Google it, okay? Your mind is Googling it, and you're going through the, all of the things about your life, and you're looking for something to remember that would contradict what they just said about you. I'm not a stingy person. See, our Googling in our minds go like that, and all of a sudden, we come up with a, for example, in, we, we think back and we go, let's see, when, what did I give at that restaurant? They, I got some really good service, and I know I was really generous at that restaurant. You gave more than your typical 5%. Some of you aren't laughing. But do you catch what we do? We want to prove to ourselves that I'm not a stingy person, just so we can feel a little bit better. And that is people view us in a negative way. We just don't like that. So we begin to look and go, how am I generous? And we kind of talk ourselves in, I think, to thinking that we feel generous. Now, understand this. When you think of biblical generosity and tipping even, Here's what I here's what I got to say. Um, if you give a large tip for good service, that really isn't biblical generosity at all. Do we catch that? Matter of fact, if you have terrible service and you give a large tip, 
that is much closer to biblical generosity. When was the last time that you gave a tip for terrible service? A large tip. You see, what is biblical generosity? There's a series by Andy Stanley. We'd like our community group leaders to to take and view it with their groups. And he gives a couple of pieces in that, some nuances to it that's really quite good and accurate. But he points out, for, for instance, that we tend to think that random acts of kindness is really defining that's really being generous. And he goes, sorry, that's really not true. And I think he's right in that. But he goes farther to say this as well. And he understands, and I so agree with this, giving out of guilt, and even a lot of money out of guilt, that's not biblical generosity as well. Do we catch that? But even going farther, and I think he's right on spot on in this, he's saying this, to be inspired to give, inspiration, that isn't biblical generosity either. When we're inspired to give. See, biblical generosity is so much more than somebody inspiring us to give. Now, I got to be careful here because giving out of guilt or even to be inspired to give, it's not a bad thing. I'm not going to throw that into the category of some deep sin. But it's more than that. Biblical generosity and the generosity of a father is so much more. So understand this. Think of it this way. God's generosity toward us is not motivated by guilt in any sense of the imagination. In no terms is he feel guilt. Oh, look at those poor people, and I haven't helped them in so long. I got No, he doesn't do that. Nor... I don't think that somehow he looks at the circumstances and he's inspired to give to us in his generosity. That's not the case either with God. And you go, where does this generosity of God come from? And let me be very pointed. I believe it's this. It's one quality and one quality alone. L-O-V-E. It's out of his love that he is generous. So understand, biblical generosity is connected to the issue of love. And matter of fact, let me show you this. 1 Corinthians 13, I'll put a verse on the screen. It says this, verse 2, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. But look at verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, let me paraphrase it in what we've just been talking about. If I feel guilty and give all I possess to the poor, or if I feel inspired to give all I have to the poor, but do not have love, it is meaningless. One can give out of guilt and can give out of inspiration. But if love is not connected to the motive, it does not count as generosity. You see, this book, you catch it, it doesn't make it that easy, does it? 
See, the reality is we like to give our money, we like to give our time and possessions when we're inspired to do it. We get something out of it. That feeling of going, oh, there's a sense of satisfaction, and we feel good when we give. Now, is a good feeling bad? No, it's not. It's just not biblical generosity. And again, it's not bad. But it doesn't fit into the category of love, real love. If you got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. We need to dig a little bit into it, this text here. And I can't, I don't know of a better biblical text that really shows what biblical generosity is all about. Now, the context of this is that Paul is writing to the Corinth church, to Corinthian church, and they have made some commitments to give toward Jerusalem, the needs in Jerusalem. And Paul is reminding them of their commitments, but he's also looking here, he wants to help change this church, to present this church complete in Christ. So he wants changes in their lives. He wants them to have new hearts. But he begins to teach them, and he uses the Macedonian church or the churches there in that region as, a, as an opportunity to shape their lives and their understanding of generosity. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Let me give you the second point for your, if you want to fill in that blank. A heart of generosity begins with a motivation that begins with God's love and ends with his purposes. So let's dig here and we'll see that. That verse 1, we want to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given to these people that are in this region. These people have responded to Jesus. They've put faith in him. Now, this grace, though, when it talks about this grace that has been given, what is that? And I, can, I think we can assume this, that that grace is connected to their hearts of generosity. I, there's a connection there. But what is the grace that God is talking about here? Maybe grace is this. Maybe grace is a little zapping force. He's going around, God is going to these churches and and all of a sudden, oh, I'm inspired to give. Is that what we think grace is? It's a noun here. Do we, we think it's just something that in a neat little package that, you know, like the fairy throws on people and it flutters down. Oh, now we have grace. I go, I think it's more, I think it's different than that. Here's what I believe it is. The grace was the working of the Holy Spirit. That was what's flowing through them. 
the grace of the Holy Spirit. They were listening and they were responding to the Holy Spirit. Now you could say, I suppose, that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I think you will see that it's more than that. Something was changing within their hearts. They weren't just shutting out the Holy Spirit at that moment. They were opening their hearts to be changed from the inside out. Matter of fact, look at that verse on the wall again, our campaign verse. I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. What was that was going on with the Macedonian church people? God was instilling a new heart where they had to be God-willed for God's purposes. And it was being done by the Holy Spirit. Understand what was taking place. The Holy Spirit was empowering them to go look beyond themselves and their current situation. They were letting the Holy Spirit speak, listening to him. They weren't quenching the Holy Spirit. And they could not be stopped then to become generous people. See, their giving was not from guilt. Nor was it some guy that came through, some Billy Graham type speaker that's revving them all up and saying, you got to give to the churches in Jerusalem here. No, it wasn't that at all. They were quietly listening to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit revealed God's purposes in their giving and he wanted to use them. They were, God, they were becoming God-willed. Now here's where you got to understand the circumstances of this church. And where it really had to have been the Holy Spirit working. Recognize that these churches, they were experiencing profound hardship, trials, persecution. And that those words there in the text, extreme poverty. It literally means down to the depths poverty, rock bottom. They had nothing and the Holy Spirit was still working. Trials and their attitude remained right. They didn't get stuck thinking about their own situation. Matter of fact, they were, I think, living out what James tells his readers. Count of pure joy when you face all kinds of trials. Did you catch that they were actually joyful? Extreme poverty, joyful, giving generously. What happens when we go through trials? Do we really naturally go to become generous when life is not working very well? Are we joyful in that? Even if, like, I think this is what happens that we tend to circle the wagons when extreme hardship comes. And maybe a phrase, we, be t we begin to navel gaze. You understand, it's easier when trials and hardships and suffering comes. The tendency is to go down and go, oh, we look at ourselves. It's easy for me. Instead of looking up and go, okay, God, what do you want? What are your purposes in this? You understand, Satan in the flesh, it when difficult times come, he wants us 
to do nothing more than navel gaze. Joy? Not so much. And yet here's a church in an example. Trials, suffering, poverty, and joy was coming out of their hearts. It's easier for us to be navel-gazing, complain about the trials, complain about not having enough. And complaining never will lead to biblical generosity. You know, as I was pondering this, even for my own self, you know, when our good car breaks down and we have to drive the old beater, we think that's a trial. You go, no. See, the Macedonian churches, they had hearts that were soft and pliable. They were listening to the Holy Spirit. And the result was that the persecution did not take away their joyfulness. And even in poverty, it did not diminish their ability to be generous. Look at verse 3 and 4 again. Look at what it says there. For they gave according to their means, and they had almost nothing, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That, folks, is not a normal understanding. Now, we look at this. Okay, you catch what they, they figured out what they could give, and then they went beyond it. And you go, really? Do you know what these people, this Macedonian church, should have done? They should have taken a financial planning class. Because didn't they know that they were supposed to store up four months of stuff so you can get by in case an emergency comes? Before you're really generous, you're supposed to have this nest egg built up. Let me make a statement that might get some of you here. See, we want to be so secure, feel secure, and we want to have enough for a rainy day fund. But the Macedonian churches would tell us this, that our financial planners are not the Holy Spirit. Do we plan? Sure. Be careful? Sure. But here's be, be careful because don't let earthly wisdom trump the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, they begged earnestly to give beyond what they could should have been able to afford. See, we kind of take earthly wisdom, we put some verses out of context to it, and, and so partly so we can control our own world and we want to figure out how we can do it on our own. And as a result, when we do it that way, we kind of put the, the Holy Spirit up on the shelf and avoid what he wants to do in our lives. You know, last Sunday... I delved into the area of the giving of time. You know, and the issue of time now has become just as offensive to Christians as when a pastor preaches on money. And people's lives, you go, 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 and we leave no margin in our lives. And, and, and I would say this, I'm not sure that we do a great job of having generosity with our time when it comes to the bride of Christ and, and, and the kingdom of God. 
Now, are we supposed to have margin in our lives built in when it comes to time? Yeah, it's biblical. It's called the Sabbath. That's how it's supposed to work. But we need to be so careful that we're not putting the Holy Spirit up on the shelf that it trumps everything. I remember years ago, a book that was written on a Christian author by the name of Richard Swenson, Dr. Richard Swenson. He wrote the book Margins. And it popped back to my mind as I was studying this week. Author had great principles in terms of a use of time, but I have to come back and go, he really wasn't the Holy Spirit. And see, we need to allow God and the Holy Spirit an opportunity to trump earthly wisdom at times and make room for that. But let me keep going. Look at number uh, another principle here, generosity number three here for your notes. Biblical generosity that is driven by the Holy Spirit produces an open-heartedness with our time, our talents, our money, and our possessions. It's open hands, open hearts. But do we realize that things fight against open hands and open hearts? If you dig into the scriptures, what you find, what fights against it, it's, and the scriptures teach us that we need to be aware that money and stuff and possessions are seductive. They can trap us. Even the earthly call of security to make my life secure, make sure that I'm independently wealthy. See, if we're not careful, those things drown out the whisper of the Holy Spirit. Maybe to say it differently, money, stuff, and pleasure, convenience, keeping my options open. Those are that, that's the, the choir of the world singing that song. And it's loud. And the whisper of the Holy Spirit gets drowned out. I don't know if you realize something, but Jesus over and over again in the Gospels points to how money gets in the way of responding to himself. Remember the rich young ruler? Now he pointed out that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? I think it's this. The song that's playing is so loud when you have stuff and money. Pleasure. Where's happiness found? That song of, oh, I got to have a little bit more. See, the, the world's choir is drowning out the wooing of God. And I don't know if you realize, biblically, when, when you look at who responded to Jesus, you know who responded more often than not? was those that didn't have money. They were poor. They were destitute. They were lame. They were hurting. And why? Yes, why? I I think it's this. They didn't listen to the choir. The choir wasn't loud for them. It couldn't be. And, And it's why Jesus says that often having the least rather than the most actually opens up ourselves up to the Spirit of God. And I think this is true. Oftentimes people that have the least have better hearts of generosity, greater hearts of generosity in all areas of their lives. Charles Spurgeon, old-time pastor from England, 
he, he tells the story of a wealthy man's invitation to come and preach at his rural uh, church, at a church there. And he wanted Spurgeon to come and help him raise money to pay off the church debt. And this man, as he wrote to Spurgeon, he said, you know what, when you come, you can use either my country house or my seaside house to stay in. And Spurgeon wrote back to him, sell one of your places and pay the debt off yourself. But, but I think we people keep believing that if we have just a little bit more money, then I can become generous. If I have just a little bit more free time, then I'm going to serve and respond. That's not the church in Macedonia here. They were listening to the Spirit. Grace was being poured into their lives. A new heart, new hands. They were open to what God wanted. And I don't know if you catch this. There's no hint of recklessness in this. They determined what they could afford, and then they went beyond it. They gave, did you see that statement? They gave of their own accord. Generosity demonstrated no guilt. They weren't inspired where some preaching pastor comes along and puts up a video about the people in Jerusalem and look at all their needs and then they were inspired to give. Didn't happen. And I got to point something out. It wasn't the prosperity gospel that they gave. You know, give God and he's going to give you back ten times. There was absolutely no hint in that kind of giving. Do we catch that? The, the heart of their generosity. Look at verse 4. Keep going. Look at how begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Can you, do you imagine that? Paul, we want to give. We we're begging you, can we please give? I, I, I wonder if that's hinting that Paul goes, no, you guys can't afford it. And that leads to another point. Look at point four here on the screen. Biblical generosity is understood as privilege. For them, it was a privilege. They wanted to serve and the privilege to give. But do you, do you feel that, the difference? A privilege to serve, a privilege to give versus a duty to give, a duty to serve. Two very different feels, two very different understandings. The privilege of giving. That's why we can say, guess what? The Holy Spirit was working in this group of people. It was a privilege, an honor. They begged this, Paul, can, I, can we send you money? And they couldn't afford it. Look at verse 5, though. Keep going here. And this not as expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Here's the point number five. Biblical generosity occurs when people give themselves first to Christ and second to others. The Macedonian generosity was possible because they pursued Christ. They gave themselves to him first. See, seeking Jesus changed them. Bonding with the Son changed them. The Holy Spirit changed them. 
as they gave themselves to the Lord. They did the earthly impossible. But here's where we want to challenge our church by giving ourselves to the Lord. And this isn't anything about a checkbook, okay? Uh, Guys, you want to start handing out. um, Here's the challenge. We would like you to give yourselves to 40 days of prayer. 40 days of prayer. We have some booklets put together that you can use. We're going to start on October uh, October 4th, 4th, yeah, October 4th, and, and I would invite you to take this booklet, and when October 4th began, just to pray some of these prayers, but you don't have to stop there, by the way. But, but it's about taking and giving ourselves, and maybe you want to fast. Maybe you want to fast some lunches and pray. Maybe you want to take some time and just, man, spend some dates with Jesus. Give ourselves to him. And the goal of it, understand, is that God would work within us in ways that maybe we have never experienced. He would give us chisel away at our hard hearts and he would give us soft hearts that we would open our hands and be open to what he wants. There's a couple other options for you in terms of giving yourselves. We're trying to do some prayer at 1030 in the offices here every Sunday, uh, Wednesday night. We're we're trying to gather a group of people to come and pray together at 6 o'clock on Wednesday nights. What do we want to pray for? Families, marriages, our community, uh, this world. We want to see God work in a way that God is walking ahead of us. Uh, By the way, we're going to end this 40 days of prayer with a 24-hour prayer service. And you'll hear about that, more coming up at another time. But for us, are we willing to give ourselves to the Lord? Do some spiritual exercising in that area. But let me go back again to this church and their motivation. Again, it wasn't some preacher that came in that inspired them. It started with Christ. I think they tasted of a relationship with him and they found it so sweet, so compelling, so good that they served and gave out of delight. It was in duty. And I think we catch this, the tone in this is that Paul is almost surprised at their generosity. To give so much more and give beyond what they could, Paul's going... Something's different about this group. And he realized they gave themselves to Christ first, and then they became generous. And here's Paul taking this example, challenging the church at Corinth. You understand the church at Corinth had a lot of issues going on. They were the the navel gazers. Pride issues. Many of them weren't growing up in their faith. And, And Paul wanted changes in their life so he's saying run after christ hard pursue him allow the holy spirit to speak to you guys and i think that's what he's wanting us to do as well see as we seek him god infuses a spirit of generosity within us that impacts all kinds of areas in our lives the way we relate at church 
the way we love people in this world. When you get up and go to work tomorrow, I think it changes the way we function as a family in terms of fathering and mothering, husbands and wives, generosity. Matter of fact, what would it be like for moms and dads where the kids, as they're getting a little bit older and they can discern what's going on with mom and dad, what if the children can look at our lives and go, they are giving their lives to Jesus? Wouldn't that be a statement of the Holy Spirit working and listening to the Holy Spirit? Parents, I I know I try to do this. I feel like we try to teach our kids biblical generosity. And you say, it really won't happen unless they pursue Christ as well. We can teach principles of being nice, yeah. But biblical generosity to give like this, It's got to be they also have to have that connection to Christ as well. The generosity of God. You know what? The Macedonian church knew it. This church understood it. They embraced it. And do we? See, deep within our souls, God, do we understand God is giving? He gives us life itself. He sustains us. Do we realize that we get up in the morning, we eat a breakfast, we actually have a breakfast, some people don't, and that that is a gift, a sustaining gift for us. And do we recognize the generosity of the gift of his son? So that a, a sinful person separated from God might see how good he is and respond and repent and walk toward him and have salvation. The generosity of a son hanging on the cross and the generosity of the Holy Spirit. God gifting us the Holy Spirit as he left. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us, to care for us, to be a voice in our souls and our minds that says, Ken, and your name, every other name in here, he said, walk toward me, love me. Open your heart to me, and I want to give you a new heart, one that will be infused with generosity. But folks, it starts with, we have a generous Father. Ponder that this week. The generosity of God and what he wants to do in us because of his generosity, his love for us. Let's stand and pray.